Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. As Alien fans, we've become used to change. Different directors, different scripts, different planets, different eras, different timelines, even different film studios. With everything so constantly in flux, it's easy to forget that Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr. have been there since nearly the very beginning. From their pioneering work on Aliens to the foundation of the legendary Amalgamated Dynamics, Inc., Gillis and Woodruff have been at the vanguard of the effects industry for three decades. In this exclusive, unprecedented interview, our very own J.M. Prater visited Gillis and Woodruff at Studio 80i in Hollywood for a sit-down conversation about their love for the Alien Saga, their relationship with the fans, and much, much more. Jamie takes it from here. Hmm. You want to start with conscious? Yeah, I have a question. Where, where's our eye line? It's audio. <laughs> what? Oh. It's your ear line. The what? I dressed up for this. All right, let's start with some controversy. I dressed up for this and it's not on video. Your turn. Common misconceptions about Tom and Alec or about yeah, practical about what effects you do. or yeah. what? About what we do? Yeah. You know, um, sometimes people think we have more control over the final uh, results than we actually do, mm -hmm. right? So people will comment about the sounds the creature makes, you know, or they'll, or or, or maybe the way the scene is lit, or um, even even um, you know we we got some grief uh, when you're even when you're serving the, the 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 script and doing what you need to do to make the director and the uh, and, and and support the, the the plot and the details of the story, you can still get like some you know unhappy fan mail. And one of the things I think of is, is in uh, Alien Resurrection when the aliens were a, a, a cross between humans and aliens and we deliberately softened the look of the character so that it wasn't the hard uh, biomech look that Giger had established but it was somewhere in between that and a, and a, you know, and a more organic um, look. And um, people, uh, some people really, either they didn't, they may not have liked that story point and maybe they fully understood it, or they didn't understand the story point, and they just said, you know, Woodruff and Gillis have, you know, thrown away, they think they're better than H.R. Giger, and things like that. So, um, you have to take those kind of things in stride. But that's part of why we started our YouTube channel, which was so that we could communicate with people and show them, you know, exactly what we do and, and how we do it, and, you know, maybe uh, increase awareness and appreciation. Not just for what we do, but for what all practical effects artists do. Mm -hmm. Well, the the reason why I ask this question is because, as you guys fully know, 
the alien community. It's burgeoning, but it's also, of course, like many fan communities, it's highly opinionated, and I think it's given you guys some grief over the course sure. of years. Yeah, I think Blaming so. you, unfortunately. For well, no, but they can blame us if they want, because we are artists who, we make choices. It's not that we are totally blameless in every situation. It's perfectly okay to have a different opinion than Tom and Alec about what an alien should look like. Mm -hmm. And it's perfectly okay to voice that opinion, but we always, you know, we try to uh, balance our opinions against, uh, you know, reality and not and not just, um, you know, get make personal attacks and things like that. Well, yeah, and, and that's and that's an important aspect of what Alec was saying about about, about you know, fans, especially the, the the fans that are unhappy with something we've done, thinking we have more power. Again, we can only do what we love in as much as the director and the producer and the studio is going to let us. So, so again. You might see something in a film that that we're happy with, but it may not be exactly 100% what we would have done had it just been a pure art project on our own that we're working on in our own home studios. Mm -hmm. So, it's a it's a becomes a commodity. You know, it's frustrating. It was for me. It was very frustrating years and years ago to be in meetings and have our work referred to as assets. Um, but the bottom line truth is that's to the studio. That's what they are. And without the studio and without the producers and without the money, we've got no movie. So. It's sort of a, a, a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow, but it's, it's uh, it also allows us to, to do what we want as much as we do. Okay. Yeah, I, I completely understand it. I think part of this is uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you guys. Well, one of the, the kind of number one is, I know you released a video, um, I, I've been looking for it, I can't find it. You're talking kind of about a little bit in defense of, hey, this is what we do, we make decisions, but this is also kind of studios are involved and they kind of have the final say. So if you see something that, like you said, that you don't like, it might not just be us, it might be studios. And I, I, I've i kind of been on a little bit on a mission to kind of write that shit, maybe not for you guys, but just mm -hmm. the alien fan community is, again, it's kind of torn up, it's been torn up for a long, 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 long time. And yeah, I, I think maybe the, one of the videos that you're talking about, we've done a number of them called War Crimes yes. on our YouTube I video. I can find it somewhere. You can, you'll find it. Okay. You'll find it. I don't know where. I mean, it's in a playlist somewhere, like okay. maybe an alien playlist or, or something. But, um, but and we can, uh, we'll get you a link, and you can post a link to your, to your listeners, too. But we did a, I think we did a War Crimes on Deadpool. We did yeah, a War Crimes on... Uh, the Thing? The, did we do another thing? The thing? War crimes. War crimes on. Uh, I know we did something similar, maybe before we were calling them war crimes, on uh, uh, Ridley Scott's I Am Legend. Uh, so we've done a few of them. And we want to do more of those, actually. We did promise people a, uh, a newborn alien um, war crimes because that's a divisive character. Certainly. certainly. And, um, and we would just like to explain that. And these are not intended to be videos where we defend ourselves. They're intended to be videos where we we inform as completely as we can from our point of view how things came about and how the how the mechanism of decision making works. And like for me personally, I'm I have never been completely comfortable with the newborn. So there's a there's a character that you know we the director loved it. The director was very much into the, a lot of people love it. And I kind of go, I'm glad you love it, but I think it's a little, there were other things I wish we had done, you know. But on the other hand, the fact that it, the newborn creates that kind of um, dichotomy of opinion is, is perfect for what its character is, which is a mix of different things. It's a mix of, of human and alien. It's a mix of 
Ripley and an alien. It's a mix of male and female, a mix of young and old. So why shouldn't the reviews be mixed, mm -hmm. you know? Well, what does this fucking beast want? Is his mother gonna try for us all? Jeez. Well, ain't that sweet. So how are we gonna stop it? <clears throat> we have no weapons, is that correct? Right. I haven't seen one exactly like this before. It moves differently. But the others were afraid of fire. Not much else. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about your involvement with Alien 3. We've kind of been on an Alien 3 arc with our podcast. We've kind of been exploring everything from the Ward script to just mm. as, I don't have to say anything because you guys know. Um, when you guys were first aboard this Alien 3, Vincent Ward was in charge, or you guys were using his script, right? Mm. So you were, des you were designing creatures based off that script. What happened to that? Like, well, when when we started Alien Three, yes, when we started Alien Three, Vincent Ward was directing, and we had some meetings. I think we were actually in London at a meeting, as well, with Vincent right, and, and some other heads of the department. So, um, but we hadn't really started doing any designing. It was all just in the talks process. So, um, I wish there was some kind of a portfolio of hidden designs that we that we could release, you know. But it, it didn't get that far. And, and the aspect of, it was more like trying to figure out exactly, come to terms with what the world was that, that he was trying to create and how we could fit the alien and the alien uh, creature uh, lifestyle, life cycle into that story. Okay. Yeah, we, as we've been doing our own research, we realized, you know, it, it was recorded that you guys were already there in London doing some work, so we're like, well, what... What work were they doing? I'm, I'm that's funny. I'm curious, and and I apologize, Jamie, that I, that I didn't I didn't get backed up on 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 a lot of your more recent podcasts. But just in terms of the arc, like are are there? What's the general feeling of the fans about the the, the whatever prospects may have been lost or or salvaged by not going the Vincent Ward direction? Um. Well, I think fandom is changing its attitude towards Alien Three. I mean, it's bloody disgusting. Did a whole write up, kind of. Uh, take, kind of taking another look and saying, actually, this is a masterpiece, and um, it, it always has been, but it was just, it came out at the wrong time or whatever, whatever, there was a yeah. great thing. So I think the tide is turning, but it's one of the most infamous films in cinema history in terms of the development of hell. I mean, when I was in film school, they, they, they gave us like six scripts, all Alien 3, like, this is what it went through, and that's how we <laughs> wow. learned, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was very... Um, it was just kind of a, a storied, it's a storied film. So when we were doing our research for this kind of, this arc that we're doing, um, obviously they said, you know, Ward was doing this and they're building sets and all of these things and then it stopped. And so we were curious, like, what was that like? So did you guys have to stop production and you were well, just kind of sitting there for a while? Yeah, that, that, from our point of view, and there may have been more, you know, there may have been more um, uh, stuff going on in the art department or set construction stuff that, that um, we were unaware of. I think uh, Norman Reynolds may have built some stuff uh, during the Vincent Ward era, era that all that got used, I think. But um, And I don't know about costume design or what have you, but um, it was a fairly brief period for us. I know he was, Vincent was involved in developing, you know, so he might tell you, you know, that it was a, a year or two of his life, I, I don't know. But for us, we had a few meetings with him um, uh, 
he was a really nice guy. We were very excited about his vision because it was uh, what the Navigator, I think, was the was the film he had done. Is that what it was mm-hmm. with the medieval monks going into the the present day and just very imaginative. And he he just seemed like he was going to be a really unique, um, bring a unique sensibility to the film. But it also felt like he was under a little bit of duress because uh, I think he was getting a lot of pressure from the studio to to make the film a certain way and he was kind of pushing back um, you know with this I seem to remember him feeling like well why are they or saying something why are they hiring me with my specific vision when they that's not what they want they want to change it they want to you know so I think that's then where Fincher came in I always saw that as being that uh, Fincher was a little bit more his sensibilities were a little bit more um, uh, traditional sci-fi uh, um, and, and a little less uh, you know Vincent really loved the medieval thing and it does carry over into the film monks and you know these guys with shaved heads and all those same uh, outfits and all that kind of stuff but Fincher is a little more hardcore you know he's a little less uh, um, maybe fanciful mm-hmm. um, so that's probably what the studio was looking for but this is this is guessing on my part because you got to remember once again misconceptions we don't get invited into the top level meetings mm-hmm. where they're discussing who's going to write the next draft or you know uh, I mean we have been in some of those meetings but not in this case mm-hmm. what was the um, and again some of these questions are uh, just for kind of the clarity like was it when there was a shift from Ward to Fincher, you know, you know, there's, of course, interviews with David Fincher, he doesn't want to talk about it, he says it was hell, he felt like he was raped, I mean, he's used those terms in his, did the, did the atmosphere of the set feel like chaos, kind of basically what he described? No, not, to, not to my eyes, I don't think to yours, no, mm-hmm. because again, from, from our point of view, from our uh, admittedly limited point of view, uh, we were brought in, we had a couple of meetings from Vincent, um, we came back here to find out what the next move was. We heard Vincent was getting replaced. We had a meeting with David Fincher. We, uh, Fincher took us down to Fox. We watched them. They screened aliens for us just to kind of get caught up in where it was. Um, and they were hard at work on a script. And um, what was the last thing before we did a couple of sketches? Just really loose, loose, loose sketches. of. I think I did Bishop Torn in Half and Hicks and... And Alec had done a, a few of the, the alien creature, the xenomorph, and and um, and that was it. It was just very very you know slow paced um, up to the point where we left here. I think in June or July, July I guess went to London, started building the things that we knew were going to be in the movie, like the the the, the dead you know Hicks and Bishop and, and Newton and all that stuff, and started building some alien stuff and, and but more of the specific stuff was kind of put on hold while the script went through changes. Okay. I have a specific question about the Bishop uh, animatronic. The company knows everything that happened on the ship. It all goes into the computer and gets sent back to network. And they want it. I heard. Do me a favor. Disconnect me. I could be reworked. But I'll never be top of the line again. I'd rather be nothing. You sure? Do it for me, Ripley.
that is still I've never seen anything like that in film that, that it's amazing like it, how alive it is the sinking of its lips what was the process like to create that and to get it ready to perform I, again I've never seen anything like that except for maybe with the dark crystal something that's that detailed and that amazing um, we uh you know, pitched the idea to Fincher about, you know, you doing it as an animatronic because we felt we could really crush the skull in and, you know, at the time there was no digital removal of, a, of an actor or what have you. But we told him we had high confidence that we could do a lip-syncing um, head uh, that would, um, you know, deliver the performance and, um, and give you a, a very severely damaged Lance Henriksen and that it would be very touching, you know. and. Uh, so we were using um, references like the um, the photo of um, Robert Kennedy, you know, lying in a pool of his own blood, kind of lifting his head up and asking, you know, are you okay? Is everyone okay? You know, as he's, you know, dying. So it was that kind of a thing that we were, you know, locking into and Fincher was very into that as well. Um, we had a life cast um, that Tom and I had done from Aliens. We found that in the pine wood in some big storage bin pile of you know old molds and stuff. Dug that that out, did a clay press, and then David Anderson, who was one of the Americans on our crew, uh, did a resculpt uh, of the face to you know broken shards of skull, translucent skull poking out and so on. And then we um, he also sculpted the uh, the kind of the junk heap version of Bishop, uh, you know, with its arm its arm kind of behind its. Head, that was we were referencing uh, Ronnie Cox from uh, Deliverance who, yeah. who did that. You know, we thought that's cool. That's yeah. a little homage thing. That's neat. Let's do that. Um, and so we built a, a dummy version for you know Sigourney to kind of pull out of the junk heap, and then our mechanical version. We were um, working very hard in in England to bring it up to the level of lip sync that we felt it needed to be. But unfortunately, the technology had not quite reached London at that point. Mm -hmm. They had done amazing lip sync on um, the uh, uh, Dark Crystal and and the uh, you know the Big Planet Audrey and you know all that stuff. But none of that was servo. That was all push pull stuff and varying the speed, the frame rate, and stuff like that. So it wasn't. Plus, we were really big on translucent skin mm -hmm. materials because we you know, knew that what would make this thing really look like real flesh was that if you could rim light it and see see some squishiness, see the waxy quality of the flesh, you'd believe it more. And at the time, those uh, translucent materials weren't really available. There was no silicone to speak of that was the right kind of silicone that you could work with. So we ended up building a version of Bishop for coverage of Sigourney to shoot over top of and you know, shoot past and, you know, get her performance and all that. But we rebuilt it in Los Angeles, um, you know, using the same molds, and but just using different technology for the close-ups on Bishop, and that was a contained little uh, area, a little set. And that was all part of a probably a three-week reshoot period mm -hmm. uh, in December of, what, 90? 90? 90. 91, 91, I think it came out in 92. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 91. Yeah. Um, so, and we were doing a bunch of pickups as there were some rewrites and a cut of the movie, which isn't also is not unusual to, to, to do that. Um, but anyway, that's kind of the story of Bishop, and we put a lot of uh, a lot of detail work into it. I mean, we had a little little uh, breathing pipe in there so that we could get a little bubble of 
saliva that came out. We just had these ideas that like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a bubble of saliva? And we were given the time to, you know, doggedly go after that. Um, but it was a second run at it. And that's not to say anything bad about the English crew. It's just that, you know, the materials that were available at that time there just weren't. Now it's everywhere. And, and uh, you know, people are doing great, great things now. But, um, but anyway, so, and the other thing we thought in terms of design was that, well, he is an android. So if he doesn't look like a human being completely because he's an animatronic, uncount, uncanny valley, all that stuff, mm -hmm. it's still okay because he's, he's an android. So he's a malfunctioning android. So we think, we'll, we, think we can make this work. Fascinating. Um, yeah, again, I, that scene is really powerful. It's a powerful scene. I mean, it's, I don't know how long it took to shoot, but it's really making a, a human connection with something she shouldn't be making a human connection with. Mm -hmm. Kind of her last, so I, I just did something I've always really liked. You guys have that thing still, or a version of it, or no? I don't know if there's anything left. It was uh, it was urethane. It was before we really got too far into silicone. Oh, okay. It just didn't have a very long yeah. life yeah. after that. Um, next question or series of questions: Geiger's involvement with Alien Three. I know that there's a lot of history about that, but we had some very specific questions because we know that Geiger wasn't included on the. The credits, of course, which is... He know, was included in the credits, very specifically. In the, the first... In the film. The first time? In the film, yeah. Okay, because I, I mean... I really we were very specific. And by the way, I, I love to talk about this because... Cinef, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, what was the name of that uh, uh, magazine? Fre uh, Frederick Clark's magazine. Cinefantastic. Cinefantastic did a real hatchet job on us and our relationship with Giger, which was fine up to a certain point. And it's unfortunate because that sort of is the historical piece that people pull up and go back and read. And they say, screw these guys. Yeah, and there was, yeah. A, there was even a video of a girl uh, online going, Tom Woodruff, no, what's he say? Tom Gillis and Alec Woodruff Jr. should be put in jail <laughs> because they claimed to have designed the alien. We never did. In fact, the, the credit that we insisted upon out of respect for Giger, and we don't control Giger's credits. That was up to him to negotiate. But we said, for us... Make sure you say alien effects created by, because there's a difference between an alien effect and original alien design by, and that's the credit Giger got, as I recall. And I, and I would go further, because I was going back and forth, we were fighting to get our credit, an upfront credit, on this film, and and basically, the uh, you know, at the time, our lawyer said, well, that's it, they're not going to give it to you. So I just went on my own, and I had to dig up, I had to show them, look, Stan Winston had a credit, and, and, and this is the level of movie, and, blah, blah, blah. and, and at that point, that's when I told them that, that geek, not only should ours say alien effects, because we're not claiming to have invented the alien, but in addition, to make it clear, make sure Giger has a credit up front that says original alien design. Because again, like Alex said, I, we don't know what, what Giger's involvement was in doing his own deal. Everything we knew going back to aliens was that production was, was hands off at that point with anything to do with Giger. Um, I, I, he wasn't involved in any of the design, and he wasn't. He was doing work uh, well, at the very, very beginning involved. of Alien yeah. Three. Yeah, but, sorry. But but he wasn't he wasn't brought in in a capacity to design stuff that we were that we were building. In fact, ultimately, uh, uh, Fincher had us just doing our own designs, and it it was just it was not clear. It was not made clear. There was no clarity with Giger that while he was doing his design, which we would have loved to have seen firsthand, but Fox said, no, you guys, you can't go over, you can't have any contact with Giger. Well, we had a, a couple of phone calls with him, but um, that they didn't know about. 
but it was you know his his feeling was that that he was being kept out of the picture and from my limited perspective i don't disagree with that there, there was not a lot of information going back and and forth. And, and and for the record we think giger is uh, you know if if you're going to put a you know if you're going to choose three people who are geniuses absolute game changing geniuses of creature effects giger is definitely got a spot there because the guy came at design from a completely different angle than anybody else did on the first film and and I was a fan of his stuff back on you know brain salad surgery and all those all that old album cover work I I, I didn't know him by name but I knew his work and when alien came out I was like that's that guy that who is this guy right so I get chills now when I think that we were told you're going to be doing Alien 3 and we're talking to Giger. Because we tried to convince um, Stan and Jim Cameron to bring Giger in on Aliens. And, and uh, Jim was like, no, this is my deal. This is, I'm, I'm, I, want, I want my own movie out of it. I love Giger, but I want, this is going to be my thing. <laughs> and, and Jim designed the, the Queen, right? And you can't argue with that because that's an absolutely gorgeous creature as well. So for us, we were like, oh good, we're going to get to work with Giger. That's going to be a trippy experience because he's a genius. All of And then we discovered he won't leave um, uh, Switzerland. He's going to stay in his house. And we were like, okay, that's okay. So then that, that kind of takes sculpture out of the arena. He's not going to be sculpting because it's not going to be practical to move sculptures back and forth. So we guess he's going to be doing airbrushings and he's gonna, we're going to see some of that stuff. And what we were getting was Fincher showing, Fincher pinning up um, faxes. He, Giger was drawing in ballpoint pen. And I think some of those have been out and mm -hmm. seen. Mm -hmm. But Fincher, it was back in the day when you had those rolls of faxes, mm -hmm. like hot, whatever it was. But he would pin those up and, he, and Fincher would candidly say with us, here's what I like about this and here's what I don't like. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And I think the thing that really, the thing that really survived the most in terms of the design of things that we made that was purely, more purely Giger was the Bambi Burster in the first iteration, the director's cut, the first version. Big long gangly legs. Gangly legs, big bulbous head. And that's pretty much what, what Giger drew and that's what we did. Where the, 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 the bifurcation started was that um, Fincher would show us what Giger was doing of the alien warrior and he would say, I'm not crazy about this. It's, he's, I, he's going off. He's doing what he did with Ridley Scott. Giger is doing what he did with Ridley Scott, which was to provide tons of ideas and you know, all this you know, brilliant insanity and Ridley would kind of corral him, right? So I think, I think that is what Giger expected. From what I've read of what Giger said, that's what he thought this relationship with David Fincher was going to be, but he never had to leave his house. You know, and when it didn't turn out that way for various reasons, some of which Tom alluded to, which was the studio going, eh, you know what, um, you know, and, and, you know, we like this, we don't like that. And it, then at some point, Giger decided we were the culprits because he had a great relationship with Fincher. But Giger was not a, he was not a, a kind of a, like a, um, he was a fine artist. He was a genius fine artist. And you either took what he did and used it, as Ridley Scott did, but he's not really the kind of guy where you go, you know what, um, do this, do that, and change it. We are, because we're craftspeople, 
and, and in that case, we don't consider ourselves fine artists. We are the guys who go, what do you want? How can we help? What do we, you know, we're team players. Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's what we were doing. We were following that ML. And then I think Giger, at least from what I read in, in some magazines, started thinking that um, a Mrs. Mr. Woodruff and Gillis must have put a worm in, um, in Fincher's ear. And we're like, what? You know, we, we only talked to him three times on the phone, two, three times. And it was great. And then now we're going like, what, what exactly happened? And then we're, we were just as surprised as anybody in the, I think it was the Cinefantastique uh, article where it showed him signing, uh, uh, sending something to Fox with a pentagram and like, well, this is why the studio is afraid of you, right? <laughs> because they don't understand, because they're not like us. Like we would look at that and go, oh, fucking Giger sent me a letter with a pentagram on it. This is awesome. Yeah. And we would try to, you know, we would use that in a positive way. Send that to a lawyer. What happens? You know. So I, I, we've always felt bad for Giger. We always felt that that there was a bunch of miscommunications. His relationship with us, you know, never really existed. So it didn't really matter if he didn't like us ultimately or thought we had done him wrong or anything because we weren't really players on the scene. I felt bad for him that he that he that he kind of he felt like he was cut out of the loop by the studio and. And, and, and we can talk about the inclusion, Oscar inclusion is what was a big deal with him, I think, uh, because the rules did not, um, you know, favor him. The Oscar rules don't, don't favor, did not favor him, and I think he was upset about that. Anyway. And there was that sculpture that he did that's on the wall in his, which is a, this beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful... The Sphinx. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the question was posed... Um, was there a time where you're like, no, we're not going to do this design. We'll take some of those ideas because you guys did do the lips. You know, they're similar. Mm -hmm. The way the, the legs looked yeah. on the puppet were similar. But was there a time where like, we can't really do this specifically, so we're going to have to do a version of it? Or was that always the uh, the case? It was always it was always the case. Okay, and it was always the case of, of, of Fincher, who, in in our work ethic, everything goes to the director. So Fincher, you know, in, in pointing out what he liked and what he didn't like, the first time I ever heard of the alien having lips was when Fincher said, give it lips, give it, give it these beautiful, gorgeous um, uh, lips, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer's lips. And, and we, we thought, <laughs> first of all, I remember thinking, Fincher's funny, is, wait, does he really mean Michelle Pfeiffer? But you get the point, right? And the... Um, the uh, the uh, the uh, the way the leg was was built and articulated from our end it was you know Fincher saying I want this thing to move fast like a think of it like a leopard you know running around so that means it's going to have a different leg configuration and there's only so many leg configurations so the idea that that we looked at Giger's art and and took things is not accurate it's it's like we and Fincher looked at Giger's art and Fincher said. You know, we want this, but I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. But I don't know that. I don't know that Fincher didn't have separate conversations with Giger anyway. You know, being the director and and, and wanting to have his own David Fincher film, um, I would think that he would have been very specific. I know that we also were invited by Giger to come see his sculpture. He sculpted it in his basement. It was too big to move out of his house, um, and that's again when when Fox, you know, just from the point of view of being a fan, right, to be. To have to have H.R. Giger invite you to his home in Zurich and see his art firsthand, and then to have to turn him down because of political reasons is you know really messed up. 
um, there's no way to get around it. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I remember, I don't know if it was a documentary that Charles de la Zarica did, but you, I remember you talking saying he invited you over, but at that point in production, you guys just didn't have the time to go over. We didn't have the time, and as Tom's saying, I remember there was a production manager going, you know what, um, things are, are it's a little strained with Giga right now. It would be better if you guys did not engage, you know. And we were like, we don't know what that's about, but, um, you know, it's, you know, we're working for them, so yeah. that's what we do. feel a sense of ownership in your own way of the alien saga to some degree and I don't mean that in a in the full sense just sort of I, well yeah I mean to the extent that we did what we did but but I, I always thought you know we, we've always said this that we're kind of caretakers for the time that we are involved and the more recent movies other people have been involved and they are now the caretakers of it um, but it's Giger's world. It's Giger created the the original Giger and Ridley Scott and Dan O'Bannon. I mean, you know, those guys were the triumvirate of Alien that led to all other things, mm -hmm. and everything has been influenced by it. And beyond the franchise, has been influenced by those guys and their ideas. Um, so we never we never walked in thinking um, that we were. Uh, uh, you know the owners of it, or, or or whatever, but that that we were there to execute for the director uh, and support the script and make Giger's original design, whatever the modifications were, you know, and and a lot of them were modifications that, as Tom said, we and the director were choosing, just the normal way you do things. Um, that, but that we're uh, you know we're there to to do the best we can with uh, with everything we've got. And, it's it's a little different, as Tom said, than if you're doing your own thing, right? If if you if either of us is sitting down on our kitchen table with a sculpture, um, full ownership, absolutely 100% full ownership. But that's not normally the drill in creature effects for movies. Has there been a time when you guys, for instance, maybe on the AVP films, where you were like tasked with designing? And I don't know. I'm just this is just subject uh, conjecture. Um, where you had to design, say, the Pred Alien, and you're like, well, where you don't really want to go somewhere that they're asking you to go with this, I'm sure. And I was going to say almost almost yeah. every time, really? almost every film, there's yeah. an aspect of that. Um, again, it's, 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 it's a, it's a well-shared misconception that, 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 you know, that we're artists for, first and foremost, and that, that, that we can go into a rage and throw an artistic tantrum and get our way. Um, because it's it's just not conducive to the world of movie making. You know, movie making is very orchestrated, and there are there there are these continual bursts of genius, which are almost overshadowed by the day to day nuts and bolts of having to make a movie every day. You know, and, and, and accomplish something every day. I think uh, um, there were certainly there are certainly people uh, that that don't run it the way we do. You know, and there are those 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 people that are considered considered genius or even crazy who who are much more forceful in, in, in getting their design across, a lot of times it doesn't work. Um, I, for me, I, I, would I would rather take a more moderate approach 
where I can present something and I can and I can be an advocate for a particular artistic point of view and I can and I can promote it and I can support it but if it comes down to not working with the time or not working with the budget or not working with the director's vision is then it's going to have to take second place to one of those other considerations is there this is a I'm sure you everything that you guys do you're proud of that you send off everything yeah you might be surprised <laughs> <laughs> but is there just right now well first question is with the films that you've worked on the alien films is there a film that you're like this was really satisfying to us really and i feel like i know what film that might be but well i mean the, the i i don't know if, if you agree with this but for me a lot of the evaluation of what's the favorite movie you've worked on or what's or what what do you have is so um subjectively sort of um, affected by the experience of making the movie. Yeah. Aliens was a fantastic experience, right? Mm -hmm. It was fun. Uh, I had known Cameron from the, our Corman days together, so to see him you know, now suddenly filling Ridley Scott's shoes was just incredible. Plus a lot of the people who worked for Corman were there, the Scotech brothers were doing miniature effects and Gail Hurd was producing and all that. Bill and Paxton. I, Bill Paxton was a Corman guy. And then I was, it was the first big problem. I mean, we had done, a, I, I was at Stan Winston's for a little while prior to that, but to meet these guys, Tom and Shane Mahan, John Rosengrant, Rick Lazzarini, Richard Lannan, a bunch of young guys having fun in our mid-twenties, you know, it was a, it was just a blast. But then you get to move to Alien 3, and now we're in charge. Yeah, Alien, and it's a Alien 3 was like the excitement of Aliens, but now we were, we had the extra... Uh, aspect of having to be responsible and make sure the work was coming out and, and make sure that we were satisfying it you know basically having to do what Stan was doing on Aliens yeah um, so for me you know just just jumping right into it, it, it of the of the Alien movies uh, Alien 3 was my favorite and, and mostly because of the experience of being there and being the alien in the suit yeah. and and working directly with David Fincher at the, yeah. at the very beginning of his amazing career and working directly with Sigourney Weaver and having her take such a strong interest in me as an actor as well as the creature effects that we were creating that she absolutely uh, adored. Yeah. And having said that, I had a blast on AVP. Yeah, you know, AVP we was had, good too. We had a nice budget on that. We got to make old school giant animatronic queens and um, tons of eggs, mechanical eggs and face huggers, mechanical face huggers. It, it, that was really the last time that we got to do so much uh, practical, and it's a it's a great blend of practical and digital mm -hmm. to this day, I think. And Paul Anderson is a charming, sure. nice guy, just a great guy who really loves movies. What was what would, what was your guess? Alien Resurrection. Oh, uh, just because it, I feel like it. I I feel like um, as a, a viewer, I feel like I could kind of, for lack of better terms, feel more of you guys yeah. just with the clone room and everything that you did. Well, let's was, back up and think about that, that because that was a freaking blast. And Jean-Pierre Genet was a fantastic ally. We loved supporting him, and he was just a, he's a great guy. And we did get to build a lot of stuff. We got to build a, a, a queen, not as extensive a build, but the newborn, the was, newborn extensive. was a good build. Mm -hmm. and, and it was all that visceral, we were really into the silicones and all that kind of stuff at that point. See, this is why it's impossible for us to choose.
Why did you guys decide to set up your own studio? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a, uh, I'm sure, in the, you know, in, in retrospect, looking back, it was a, it was, you know, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. At the time, it wasn't, it wasn't to go on and, and, and try to score our own shows or try to compete with Stan Winston. And, and what I've always said is, you know, we were under a Stan Winston shadow, you know, which is a pretty damn good place to be when you're doing this kind of work, right? You, you, you know, how can you go wrong? And, and what we were really itching for was to get out and, and we wanted to make our own films, you know. We watched Stan, you know, make Pumpkinhead. And it just, and, and, and truthfully, in each of our own way, in different ways, but in each of our own way, we, we actually went the whole film school route and wanted to be filmmakers. And we suddenly, you know, along the way, this was sort of a way to get into movie making and something that we wanted to do. But we also, you know, once we kind of connected at Stan Winston's and talked about, we should make this film, we should do a short, we should write this script. And we came up with this idea of doing a short teaser kind of thing. And that was back when it was much more of a financial investment because you had to shoot on film and you had to go to a lab and you had to have sound editors. And so it was a lot of, a lot of work. But, um, but that was the thing. We, 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 did, a, we did a short film. Uh, it was a teaser. We had started sending it out. And we got a call from somebody who was interested in talking to us, and we went and had a meeting. And at that time, Stan was was he gearing up to do his second film? Yeah. And I think there was some there was an aspect where that you just kind of felt in your gut that that okay, I think this is going to go right. We think this film is going to go, but if it doesn't, there's other people to go to. And and Stan is is you know he had stripped down the the, the number of people at the shop. He wanted to focus on getting his next his next film made and. And in, in our minds, we were thinking, well, why be an extra burden to stand when we're just kind of standing there waiting to jump ship as soon as an offer comes along? Why not, why not you know, man up and, and take the responsibility and, and step aside? Because Stan is not the kind of guy who would have come to us and said, I can't pay you guys, I just can't continue to pay you guys. So, so we were doing what we thought was in the best interest of, of us, as well as Stan, and, and, and wanting to make that... that uh, make that our decision rather than waiting and see what would happen. Mm -hmm. And then of course, nothing happened with our short film. <laughs> and we were, uh, you know, then going, well, how do we pay our bills? And let's go back to our first love, which is making monsters. So we started doing some things like the uh, Tales from the Dark Side. Weren't those? We, we, Tales, we, we, uh, Tales from the Crypt. The, no, not the... What was the thing we did? Monsters. Monsters, the TV series. The TV series out of Rick Lazzarini's shop. That was before we formed ADI, right? Yeah. And um, was that with Fred Savage? Uh, that was a movie. Maybe. That's oh, that's movie. Little Monsters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which this we also Stan had an opportunity to do, but didn't. but this was this was some of the, this is what we started doing to pay our bills. Like, er, they need a monster for you know forty five hundred dollars, and we you know rent some space from our buddy Rick Lazzarini, who's the guy that designed the mechs for the running facehugger and aliens and he had gone off and formed his own shop so that was helping him out a little you know and then uh, we um, I don't know I think we 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 were just sort of doing no, nothing things like that and we got a call from Gail Ann Hurd about tremors and um, they were looking at uh, creature people and she said uh, she said I'm gonna send them your way Steve Wilson um, Nancy Roberts and Brent Maddock Ron Underwood directing right so we would meet with them at the uh, Marie Callender's in Toluca Lake because we didn't have a shop and we were 
hiding that fact from them. And uh, they were like, oh, uh, you know, uh, Gail said we could talk to anybody but we want, but we're going to want to hire you guys. And they did. And uh, so we then had this job with a check about to come. And we are like, we better get a, a workspace, right? So we found this building that was being completed and it looked like everything was going to time out. It's going to be ready in a month, which is about when the check was going to come in. And we're doing sketches at home and meeting at, uh, at the Marie Callender's, you know, and they'd say, why don't we come out to you guys? And we're like, well, you know, make, make it easy on you. <laughs> so we'd go to the Marie Callender's and have another meeting. And then um, that building fell through because, surprise, we learned another lesson that contractors never finish when they say they're going to finish. So we subleased from K&B, from our friends Howard and uh, Greg and Bob Kurtzman, who now do the Walking Dead stuff, right? And uh, they were at a lull, so we're like, well, you know, once the check cleared, we'll go to K&B. And, and we started sculpting the giant worm, and we used them, put them on payroll to sculpt with us, and um, it was fun. And, uh, and that was sort of the first, the first thing we did. And then I think after after that we we were uh, out of work for seven months before Alien Three came in, so we were dying on withering on the vine there again, you know. So it was rough, but Stan was always good about you know what he said was I'm going to do all the work I possibly can, and when I reach my limit, I'll refer people to you. And we'd say thank you very much, and we'd get jobs. And the reason that we did uh, Alien Three and he didn't is that he wanted to direct Alien Three. Stan had said, you know, he pitched himself as a director, and this oftentimes, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know whether he said, I will only do the effects if uh, if I can direct. I don't know if it went that far, but um, they had other, you know, they had Vincent Ward. And Was it Ridley Scott t- attached to Alien Three briefly? I never. Don't know that. Oh, okay. I just read that. Could be. Some could be. See, that's also we have a we have an in the trenches limited experience. Yeah. You know, there's. Uh, and honestly, we don't follow up on a lot of the background history and a lot of this stuff the way fans do, mm-hmm. because we live it and we live our perspective of it. And there's a wider perspective that we may not be aware of that scholarly research can reveal. But um, sometimes people say things to us, and we go, "Really?" Dutch Harbor Coast Guard. This is fishing vessel Harbinger, informing you that we've dredged a piece of wreckage containing human remains. When you guys were doing Harbinger Down, how did you run this shop and make this movie at the same time? Mm. It was because um, it was we were also doing Fire City at the same time. Yeah, it was tricky. You know, it was tricky. But look, we have Yuri Everson, who's been with us since right after Tremors. So since 1990, 1989, he's he's been with us. So he's like like our, our main guy, and he's at a point now where he is our production supervisor. And he figures out all the inner workings of, you know, what it takes to get something done and get done in time. And um, so he was, he was manning the shop. Alec was around the corner shooting Harbinger Down. I was downtown shooting Fire City and um, coming in here as needed just to make sure I was getting all the stuff I needed. And, you know, so Yuri had the task of filling both of our productions. And I don't think it just timed out, but I don't think we had any other outside shows. Yeah, I don't recall anything big going on. Uh, it was. It's interesting though because we have we have historically done huge simultaneous projects. Like 
like Alien Resurrection, we did at the same time as Starship Troopers. Um, and I, I, you know, we've had five and seven things going on at a time, and we are kind of set up for big, you know, big pr productions to, to come through. Lately, things have been smaller, um, so it kind of feels like we're working at you know half capacity a lot. Uh, but yeah, and a lot of that is credit to Yuri Everson, who who is a, just a real good organizer, and he kind of enables us to run around and art direct, and we get to make jokes, and he has to be the disciplinarian. So it's a blast because we used to do that for Stan Winston. We used to we used to schedule and deal with uh, manpower issues and employees and all that. Uh, Stan could come in and art direct, so that's how we have created our world. How hands-on are you guys now? So are you still here every day, or is it kind of its own machine now? Or I don't think it'll ever be its own machine by choice. I mean, I guess it could be you get to a point where where, where you just walk away and, and let, the, let the machine continue to churn out work, but, but um, I still consider ourselves hands-on. Um, should think about that. I mean, that definition. Yeah, I know we don't. I know that when it comes down to it, we have a work schedule, right? And we've got to get some characters sculpted. And 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 I, I know, speaking for myself, I don't sculpt that much anymore. So I can't sculpt well enough, quickly enough, to make it worthwhile for me to sit down and take a sculpture out of rotation and try to finish it myself. I blocked. I blocked out a lot of stuff for Fire City, partially by need, and and I started doing it and I reminded me of how much I loved doing it and and I still do work uh, you know at home and I'll have some little side projects going on here but yeah I'm here every day we're both here showing up every day and when we get in the big jobs you know if it's a if it's it or or bright you know the makeups on, mm -hmm. the, on that you know those are those are jobs that really re require our focus and our art direction and then um, you know uh, you know we're because we feel that people come to us, for our artistic eye, you know, we can hire sculptors, we can hire illustrators, painters, all that stuff, but it all goes through us, and and we are making the final calls and the decisions on things, and we're guiding the process, um, and that's something that you know, if a client is uh, counting on that, that's why they've come to us. It's not an accident that for thirty years we've been able to produce great work at, at consistently. You know, it's because it's filtering through through us. It, it we we aren't believers in sort of a, a Burning Man style. You know, just get a bunch of cool people, you know, talented people together, put them in a room, and see what happens. That sounds like a, a fun, exciting experiment. I would love to be part of that. But as soon as you get commerce involved and money attached and deadlines, that's that's where I, uh, I, I, I you know, we go back to a more sort of um, traditional approach, which is. You know, it's a hierarchy, but we definitely listen to people and we definitely like bring in, oh, let's bring in, you know, Mario Torres is a sculptor who does great fleshy stuff. Let's get him. Steve Koch does appliances and texture like nobody else. He's got a great look. Let's get that guy, you know, let's get, you know, whoever it may be, you know, Tamara uh, Carlson Woodard in, 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 um, in, you know, fur work and feather work and stuff like that, you know. So there are hero people that we definitely rely on. Um, you know, it's not like we're running around doing every every job. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that actually. Just to, to people always say that about like Steven Spielberg, he can do everybody on set's job better than they can, 
And then I'm, I'm thinking, well, you need to hire better people. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, that six foot five boom guy knows how to hold that boom better than Steven Spielberg. So all these exaggerations are, are, to me, kind of amusing because it's not in my experience. As Tom said, we'll readily, like when we were coming up and we were like workhorse guys, we were doing drawings and we were sculpting, and we, it was all on us. Pumpkinhead was us, you know. Um, you know, aliens, we were working on that. That, there are now, because of groundwork that was laid by us and the people before us, like Rick Baker and Rob Bottin and all the others before us, now there is a, has been an elevation of the craft that is fantastic and it's exciting. And if you can put your ego aside and not have to be the greatest sculptor in your own shop, then you can appreciate people around you who are like knocking your socks off with the quality of their work and, and then you just welcome it in because it just makes all boats float higher, you know. Next question is, how involved with you were you guys were with Blomkamp? Because I know I've seen the photos of you in makeup, and I saw some things that Blomkamp wrote, and I know you helped him on a couple of his shorts. Well, I, I can speak to the makeup, which was basically, it was my son David, who is, is you know, no surprise, heavily into makeup and, and prosthetics and creature stuff, and, and, and he is kind of chosen to, to, to take his own path and not, not cut me out of his life but but he wants to make a go up on his own so i remember when he opened his own shop he and a buddy got together and they created a shop and they had it all outfitted and and no idea what was going on he said hey come over and look at this thing and, and uh um we're still very close but but he wants to make make it on his own as much as he can because he's got the same name but he was really excited to, to read this stuff about blomkamp doing another alien movie as we were and alec can, can speak to that but he called David called me up and said, "I want to do a I want to do a test makeup on you of like a, a burned Hicks because Neil had done some 2D art mm -hmm. like that." So I said, "Cool, let's do that." And so David put that whole thing together himself, and we shot some pictures. And Neil was just delighted to see it, and and it was it was fun. It was exciting to have my own son doing a makeup design and 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 doing an application, doing the whole thing on on his own. But um, that's as far as 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 far as my involvement in any kind of makeup, you know, okay. was, was done. But we did do more work on Alien 5. Um, you know, we did some design work and we're not, we're not talking much about it. Uh, we don't give too many details, um, but th that's just because it's, you know, it, it, it's such an unusually, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a project that at this point is, as far as we know, isn't happening or Neil has said it's not happening but there's so much interest in it um, and every time something happens like you know uh, Disney bought Fox yeah. then everybody maybe Neil's gonna get us you know yeah, yeah. which we would love we yeah, would love I mean, that's that. what everybody's talking about right now yeah and and I think that the Star Wars uh, um, model is a good one uh, for, for the Alien franchise like you know um, what was the the, the one uh, recently the Star Wars story uh, the last movie before this one was uh, Rogue One Right, not a direct. You know, it's not this all the same characters from before, but it's a it's in the universe. Why not? Why can't we? I mean, that's what that's what was kind of fun about Alien versus Predator. I get that it's a little bit uh, 
a kind of uh, opportunistic to combine the, the two characters together, but it is sort of like, it's a big universe. We can have more fun with it, like comic books do. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why do movies have to be so? Because they're a bigger investment, I guess, because there's hundreds of millions of dollars being spent and people get precious with, you know, um, with the franchise stuff. But anyway, we would love to see Neil do something in that, but, but he's, you know, he's got tons of other plans. So you're kind of keeping keeping on the download because you're not really sure what's going to happen with it. Yeah, we don't know what's going to okay. happen with it. Okay. It's not it's not for publication. It's okay. not you know. We still have hopes that, uh, and, and we basically we do we don't have any studio or Blomkamp permission to reveal anything. Mm -hmm. So we don't we don't really say anything. Mm -hmm. It's not like a movie that has been released, yeah. right? And I think that's the conundrum for the fans is there was no like. Most of the time, these studios come out and they say, we're in production, we're doing this, this has been greenlighted, and with Blomkamp, all we heard was from him, and then we heard it was over from him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people are like, why doesn't Fox say something? Yeah. You know, uh, their they're outreach to the fan has this, I, the fans have historically. Yeah, and, and who, I don't know for sure, guessing, right? But, but I think at that moment in time, there was nothing really Fox had that they could say, which I think is a good thing. It's not like Fox was saying, I don't listen to this guy, it's never gonna happen. Right, so to me, in not saying anything, what they were saying was, who knows, right? Maybe this will be in consideration a week from now, or a month from now, or six months from now. We're not, we're yeah. not gonna. There's no reason to shoot it down because it, it, Neil right. is such a capable, energetic, and 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 successful filmmaker. You know, you're gonna keep that opportunity as open as Neil would. And 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 it wouldn't really matter what they say because I, I mean, I I remember in somewhere in the '90s. Um, when people were talking about what about you know Ridley Scott coming back to the franchise and us in a we brought that up in a meeting at Fox with a bunch of executives and they said no way there's no way Ridley's coming back to this it would be too expensive he's not interested blah 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 and then lo and behold it happens so you can never say never uh, you can only say not now yeah. and I to that point I think uh, because of I would say the lack of success of the prequels. I think Alien fans really want a good movie, someone they can believe in again. I think really what, what all is, the hub of yeah. Just out of curiosity, what what are the box? What's the box office of Covenant? Seventy-one million. Seventy-one million domestic. Two hundred and fifty-three million worldwide. Which is probably about what it cost. Yeah, well, it was a ninety-seven million dollar budget and a fifty million dollar. Um, ninety? Oh, only ninety? They made that movie for under a hundred mil. That's what it's reporting us. Um, what about the previous? What about Prometheus? Uh, Prometheus was 122 million. It made 126 million domestic, 403 million uh -huh. worldwide. So it wasn't like this. Right. So it's kind of gone down. And Covenant really, I mean, you're talking about a film that um, kind of obliterated fandom. Hmm. Covenant just obliterated. What are the what in the fandom world? What what, what are the uh, what what what's the approach of people that are that like it? Do, are they do they defend it? Are they are you, do you have trouble finding people that support it? No, there are a lot of people who do support it, but they're more of hey, these were great ideas as opposed to hey, there's a character that. And hmm. for me, Ripley was always this, you know, you and it, not so much even her. I mean, it was her, but people look for someone to believe in. You need someone to kind of take yeah. you on the story. And two films in. You have this kind of crazy robot. That's it. Yeah. And so there are people who do love it, and we totally respect it. I do. I loved the first forty-five minutes of Covenant. I thought it felt like an alien film, mm -hmm. and 
The other half, I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm curious, what you did, have you guys seen the films? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you, are you comfortable talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm for me, I'm I'm uh, uh, I love the look of both movies. I think they're. I will always go see a Ridley Scott movie, yeah. no matter what he does. I'll go see it and I'll support it because the guy has just done. Too, he can't do anything to, in my mind that that um, destroys him as a legendary filmmaker. Plus, he's a massive stud. At, what is he pushing? Eighty. He is eighty. Just he's eighty. Unbelievable! Like that. That alone is unbelievable. Um, so I appreciate it on, on a lot of those values, um, but I do think that uh, his he is interested in things uh, in sci-fi concepts that are perfectly fine. They're just not alien movies or what we think of as you know. He we we met with him uh, uh, before Prometheus. You know when when they were thinking of shooting in L.A., they ended up shooting overseas and going elsewhere for tax incentive purposes and all that stuff. But he it was really, he said, literally said to us that whereas Alien was an introspective, literally internal movie, um, Prometheus will be outward expanding. We will explore the origins of the universe. And I remember at the time thinking, ooh, that's not an Alien movie. Unless the genius of Ridley Scott can tie those and make it an Alien movie. Um, and I still think he's not really... That he's interested in the alien as an ancillary character, as a as a as a you know driving force behind things, but he he doesn't see. He's more interested in the nature of um, you know AI and what is it to be a human being and the where is the soul and what is God and who is God, all those kinds of questions that I think are maybe more Blade Runner than they are Alien and and they're and they're in the new Blade Runner movie and I love that. Um, so I, I, I guess you know I, I can't say like oh yeah it's, it follows in the footsteps of aliens or but also to me we've been our career and our association with the alien franchise has been so um, every single movie we've done after aliens has been met with huh you know what the fuck or at least initially and then it starts to build its uh, the appreciation for it so. I kind of feel like it's sort of like, I, f I feel like they're like politicians that, uh, you know, are out of office. You hate them when they're in office and then after a while you go, you know, I miss that person or whatever. Um, we won't feel the same way. About uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe people are saying that they, people in Hollywood are saying, you know, George Bush wasn't so bad, that, you know? <laughs> so, you know, uh, when people say, I read an article online that Alien Resurrection is the best, the argument why it's the best in the franchise. Resurrection. Interesting. And uh, that's a hard defense to, to make, but there is somebody who had that energy to write that uh, article. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I'll go watch them for sure. I, I will always go see a, a Ridley Scott movie. But I don't know. Tom, what do you think? Well, I, I just feel like the, you know, admittedly, Prometheus and Alien Covenant uh, um, were not, well, Prometheus was not meant to be an alien movie, but, but part of me still went to see it because 
well, you're going to have a space jockey and you're going to have these, these, these characters that were so integral to the alien story to get it started. So there's, you know, I, not that I wouldn't go if it was a strict, you know, whole different uh, uh, take on a, you know, science fiction movie. But um, I just felt that there was too much focus on the character of David and even more so in Alien Covenant, which, which is more of, of, a, of an outward reach to saying, you know, here's an alien movie. You want an alien movie? Here it is. But it was still too much about David, and it was still too much about a, um, uh, what is it? It, it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't my interest. There's, there's a, um, I love horror, and, and, uh, and, and I, I love a, 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 a genre or a genus of, of, of horror movies that I call monster movies. I, I like, I love that central character of a monster or a, a tribe of monsters or a breed of monsters or something that is is very definitive and 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 evil and and you know uh, an antagonist in the story whereas in uh, alien covenant i felt like even the alien creatures were sort of just supporting the story of of david and you know the, the journey of the perfect man and how you know how he's going to to rectify his shortcomings in, in who he is internally so you know long-winded way of saying i wanted more monsters you know I, uh, I I think what 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 Ripley uh, what Ridley did with Ripley in the first movie was to establish a fantastic protagonist that, that was worthy of the alien creature mm -hmm. uh, again uh, the xenomorph right um, Cameron really expanded on that in Aliens and I think that um, at that point I think Ripley developed to a particular character in Alien 3 which which to me was very very satisfying arc to the point of rather killing herself than unleashing another queen alien and then now in, in Resurrection she was the the pseudo Ripley and 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 what I found the most compelling about that movie surprisingly was not the monsters for for a change but was just the, the sort of the monsters of of who had put her through this process of you know bringing her back bringing her back through DNA that was ultimately tainted. So um, when Ridley picked up the, the mantle again, I was hoping that, that without a, a Ripley character in it, there would still be somebody of that value and that worth, and I just didn't get that from, from those characters. Mm -hmm. I feel the same. Actually, Alien 3 is my favorite of the, of the trilogy, mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I love it in a way because by Alien 3, Ripley was the alien in the midst. Mm -hmm. She was the threat to them. She became sort of what she hated, mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was a great flip of her character she just she was amazing I mean and I'm, I was 16 when that came out so I was living in Chicago at the time actually I was growing up in this church and they wouldn't let us see it because they had strict rules but whatever mm -hmm. um, but I remember because I couldn't see it and when I finally saw it on VHS I just it was my it's my favorite embodiment of who it was is this the first of the alien movies you saw in the no the first one I saw was aliens my dad introduced it to me Mm. On Channel Thirty Two and Fox, I saw a mm. trailer, and there's they show Ripley with the incinerator. I remember looking at it, and my dad was like, "You want to see that?" I was like, "Yeah." My mom's like, "No, I don't think you should see that." So how old were you when you uh, saw? In '86, I was ten. Yeah. Or so '87. '87, I saw it when I was old. And then what? When did you see Alien? I saw Alien probably ninety. So after? Uh, oh no! Be before Resurrection. I didn't even know Alien before. existed. Before three, you say you saw. Oh, you yeah. saw okay. Yeah. And so by the time three came out, I had watched Alien in high school, Aliens in high school, yeah. almost every day after school. <laughs> and I watched it so much 
friends of my parents were like, we're a little bit concerned yeah. that Jamie's watching this movie so much. So when funny? you finally saw Alien, what was your reaction to it? Um, it was Alien to me is the Forbidden Planet. Really, it's really a story about exploration and, um, and yeah, just it just feels like something completely separate from the other two. Whereas Aliens is about Ripley, Alien Three is about Ripley, essentially. Um, but Alien isn't about Ripley; it's about exploration. It's about what's out there. Mm. What what it what are these things? And I, I do love it. It's my second favorite. I think Aliens is my third favorite, just because I I'm more of an internal journey kind of guy, and I really loved her internal journey of wow. of three. So, but the way I grew up in a, one of the last hippie communes, I was being raised there, so I was mm. still sixteen. And they had strict rules on what kids could see or couldn't see. So, despite being 16, they're like, nope, you're not going. Mm. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, made, I have one more question, and that's it. Um, I didn't mean, I was just telling him I have to leave at one. I okay. I didn't mean that you only have one more question. I'm not imposing. I like your questions, by the way. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with something I, where you guys I are. I do, around. and I like that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it inspires some passion. Here, because these are we're not talking about how did you make it so much, and what is, is about what was the experience like. Yeah. What's your feeling? And and I do think I, like I read a lot of things online that fans say, and and a lot of times I agree with it, and I go, oh yeah, there there might be they might be about seventy percent correct here in general, mm-hmm. but then there are specific things where people will say it's because of this or that, and you're like, not really, dude. And again, you know? I'm very aware of the kind of. This, that train that was going for a while, you know, ADI has ruined the alien. I, I mean, that train was going for a long, long, long time. Yeah, and I was for a part of it a little bit because I didn't know, and what you don't know, you don't know. It felt but, like um, it felt like a lot of that was coming from the UK. Am I wrong? Because I I would, know. when I would read things, they were spelling things with a lot of U's. Color was spelled with a U, you know, <laughs> and and aluminium would, would creep its way in there. And, so, and I thought, I think there's a there is a division. I noticed a division. I may be wrong about that, but I, I noticed a division between lovers of alien and lovers of aliens. Okay. Americans tend to love aliens more than they love uh, uh, alien, and the English it's vice versa. Also, English people tend to love Alien 3 more than Americans do. Um, And there's a sort of automatic sort of combat going on in there that is interesting to me. Well, Aliens is, and I'm sure you guys have heard this many times, it's just the more American, send in the Marines. Right, it's a can-do thing. We can blow those motherfuckers away. But at the same time, the elephant in the room is that you have this, and the crazy thing about the Alien fans are they kind of swarm around Ripley, this female character who they don't mention her gender one time. Mm-hmm. No one talks about it. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. She's this archetype that no one has a problem with her gender mm-hmm. um, because her character is written and performed mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a that's a whole character study right there. Of yeah. here, you know, Whereas you introduce a woman to Star Wars and you'll see the reaction like, why is Rogue One about a girl? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it all over the place. Yeah. You see, but with the alien community, no one bats an eye. Uh, what was it for you guys in terms of 
and maybe this is more of a, a typical question, but like, what got you into what you're doing now? Was there a film? Was there a moment? For me, it was The Dark Crystal. The mm -hmm. Dark Crystal I saw when I was nine, and it mm -hmm. blew me away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a very similar uh, sort of growing up opposite sides of the coast, you know, uh, but seeing being similar ages and seeing the same sort of things like the original Planet of the Apes, you know, was amazing. King Kong, Mighty Joe Young, you know, those movies, Ray Harryhausen's work, you know, was unbelievable. Um, and I, you may have some other uh, ones that you were uh, smitten with. Yeah, they are all the same and, and, and sort of like um, like movies, you know, you ask us what our, our favorite movie was, mm -hmm. Even the movies that influenced me are surrounded by moments of, of who I was and where I was at that moment. And, and I remember even more specifically, okay, old Universal Monster movies, right? In general, that was a big part of it because that kind of stuff was something where I could pick up a, uh, hard to find, but pick up a magazine that would show me, well, you buy some spirit gum and you buy some hair and you glue it on your face, you're a wolf man. But, what I do remember is being, I don't know, five or six years old, and uh, Frankenstein was on Chiller Theater out of New York, and just watching part of that on TV, and and inspiring me to the point of, of being so affected by that movie, loving the movie and being scared by it, right? There's, there's two, the comedy, there's two feelings, right? It's like the, the train wreck, gotta look, gotta look, gotta look, right? And, and uh, uh, the same element with, uh, I think, when I finally realized who Ray Harryhausen was, I think I was 10 years old and, again, had found where I could find these monster magazines now at home and, and realizing who he was and what he did and, and uh, a movie, uh, 20 Million Miles to Earth, came on and I saw that on TV. First time knowing that creature, that Emer creature, is moved just almost microscopically, one frame at a time. and. That got me interested in doing that. So there's all these kind of attachments to a time and a place in my life that did it, but but they have never gone away. I still look at the, uh, I will still watch, you know, Boris Karloff and Frankenstein one or two times a year. And there are people that work for me now, ironically, that, that have never even seen it. But to me, it's it's still the, the implicit, implicit, explicit, the implicit terror of that is not that he's a killer, or that, he, but but that he's a dead, a dead, a body that was created and brought to life. And and I often look at movies today, and have we gone so far that, you know, I think you know, Walking Dead. You know, it's like wow, this is an army, an entire, entire, almost an entire planet full of zombies. And 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 do we ever? Can we ever recapture that feeling of that that horror of seeing something dead that's brought back to life? And, and it's it sustained me, you know, that whole the, the love of all that stuff has has given us both a, a full and, and and really valuable to us career in in helping to shape monsters for for the next generations. That's awesome. I think there's something to be said also for us growing up when we did without VCRs and just with the TV guide, right? It's just like you didn't really exactly choose what you were going to see. I mean, you could choose from the TV guide which which of four channels or whatever it was you were going to. You know you were gonna you were gonna pick, but but if if you know weird movies like Cal Tiki the Immortal Monster stuff like that would come on at three in the morning, so you set your alarm for three in the morning and you try to wake yourself. I remember slapping myself in the face just to try to stay awake to watch the you know whatever the weird and and such a different like like that movie is so very different or 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 twenty million miles to Earth. Um, was creepy and visceral, right? Stop motion and like weird gelatinous egg and all that stuff that it has 
resonances to alien, to the first alien, I think, of something small growing and getting bigger and bigger. And, and that's very different from Planet of the Apes. And there was just such a, it was like a smorgasbord of, of, of weird, um, weird, differing viewpoints. And I always go back to like Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte with, with uh, Betty Davis, which is just a freaking creepy, yeah. and, and I've seen parts of it now, and it's really stilted high <laughs> drama, which I did not understand at the time. It's hilarious now, but it scared the crap out of me as a kid. So I think that was like, to, to me, there was such a, wide variety of options available in film. Film is the art that includes all other arts and that way you can reach the maximum number of people or as we've learned now little niches of people, intense little niches of people like the people listening to you, you know, that's that that to me is is still fascinating. I haven't gotten into gaming or or you know any of that kind of stuff um but this is uh this is uh, you know looking back now over at We've been, this is, 2018 is our 30th year as ADI, and we've been in it, you know, I think 38 years now, you're about the same. Um, and uh, it's, it's just been a, a very long and exciting road that, looking back on, doesn't feel long at all, does it? It's crazy. But I see pictures of us from 1991, and I can't believe anybody hired us. I was going to say, the pe- people at Fox that made the decision to bring us on were criminal in their neglect yeah. by bringing us onto that movie. We, we must have been so way cheaper than Stan Winston. Way cheaper. Are you guys hopeful that maybe Fox will bring, or Disney will bring the series back in a way that they're bringing Star Wars back? Or oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. It would be great to, I mean, it's such a rich universe that is yet to be explored mm-hmm. in the way that. You know, Marvel set the standard. James Wan is doing it now. And now Disney is doing it with the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Mine that stuff. And some of them aren't going to be great. Some of them are going to be great. But there's enough there. There's enough there to exploit and give the fans what they want. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, great great question, Jamie. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. For more on this and our other projects, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us, but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.